Proverbs chapter 4 this morning. As is the case with any of these kind of messages, um, this being Father's Day, I'm going to refer to fathers a lot. But please don't think that anybody that's not in that category can check out. Because everything, everything that I'm going to preach this morning can fit for anybody that has influence over anybody else. Okay? If God has given you some measure, some opportunity for influence over anybody else, you can apply what's going to be preached today. So moms, don't check out. Younger people, younger men that are not yet fathers, don't check out. There is certainly, certainly something for you this morning, even though I'm going to refer to dads quite a bit. It's interesting um, that my life, as I look back on it, my life was kind of flat. I had some experiences, and I went through some things growing up and that kind of thing, but it wasn't until I got married and had kids that my life took on a new dimension. I, I, my, memories, my memories of my childhood are somewhat, well, flat. It's almost like watching a screen go by. But the memories that I have of my, my marriage and especially of my kids are just so much more vivid and so much more, could I put it this way, three-dimensional. They're fuller. They're more shapely. And you know what I found out? I found out that parenting really is 3D. It's, it's not something that's flat. It's absolutely multi-dimensional. And that's the, that's the message this morning from Proverbs chapter 4, is parenting in 3D. Parenting in 3D. Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. Hear, ye children, the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Forsake ye not my law, for I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. I have led thee in right paths. Two things to get out of the way first. Number one is wisdom. Everything we're going to talk about comes from the perspective of wisdom. And how do we define wisdom? Usually when we preach on wisdom here, we define it as knowing and obeying the, will, the Word of God. Wisdom and experience are two different things. W- would you permit me to take my jacket off without it sullying the dignity of the service? I mean, after all, I want to show off this shirt, right? It is warmer up here than it is down there, and uh, I want to make it all the way through. Wisdom is different from experience. 
if you tell a child, don't touch that hot stove, and then they touch it, they've learned something by experience. But wisdom would be, I'm going to believe mom and dad, and I'm going to obey them and save myself from that experience. That's wisdom. Wisdom is when we read the Word of God, we see what it teaches and how it reveals the will of God for our lives, and we have the good sense to obey it. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. Now, many of us teach by experience, but we need to get positioned to where we are teaching by wisdom and where we're imparting wisdom. Okay, so that's, that's the first thing we need to cover. The second thing is remember the dynamics of the majority of the book of Proverbs. The majority of the book of Proverbs is written by Solomon to his son, presumably Rehoboam. Now, as a parent, those that are parents... Think about that. Think about if you are writing down things that you know are going to outlive you that your kids are going to have in their possession. You'd want to write some things that matter, wouldn't you? It would be something that would tug at your heart. So keep that in mind, that dynamic in mind as we go through this. And with the Lord's help, we're going to talk about parenting in 3D. Father, would you help me as I do this, as I preach this, as I teach this? May I be useful and helpful. May I rightly divide your word of truth. And may Christians get exactly what they need this morning. And may Jesus be lifted up. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. Parenting in 3D. Number one. You're going to figure this out real quick. What is my desire? What do I want for the next generation? If I'm a dad, what do I want for my kids? What do I want for my grandkids? If I'm, if, I'm, if I'm anybody of any influence, those that are under my influence, what do I want for them? What do I desire for them? Well, you work through Proverbs chapter 4, and you find out some things that are, that are worthwhile desires. First of all, you desire prosperity for them, don't you? Look at verse number 4. It says, he taught me also and said unto me, let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and what? Live. You say, well, that just sounds like survival. But that's not what the word live means there. The word live there means literally to live prosperously. I don't want you to survive, son. I want you to thrive. I want you to just suck all the nectar of life that you can get. I want you to have everything that God has for you. I want you to enjoy everything that he's positioned for you. I want you to prosper. And by the way, you cannot truly prosper apart from the word of God. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Then thou shalt have good success. Only through God's word will you know prosperity. But as far as God's word will take my kids, I want Claire and Asher to live prosperously. That's what Solomon wanted for Rehoboam. And that's what we want for our kids and those that are under our influence. We want them to prosper. You know what else we want for them? We don't just want, want uh, prosperity. We want protection. God, help my kids to prosper, but then, Lord, would you protect them? Look at verse number 6. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. The two words we're focusing here is preserve and keep. 
Solomon wanted these two things regarding Rehoboam's protection. He wanted preservation. That word means that word preserve means to keep or to guard for one's protection. Whenever we're walking down the street, it is my insistence that my wife and kids be to the inside of me and that I'm on the street side. Why? There's just innate in us a sense of protection. When we'd go out door knocking, if there was a dog that was suspect in the yard, my wife's going in first. No, I'm going in first. Why? Protection. Protection. To, to guard, to preserve, to guard for one's protection. But keep, that one's a little bit more interesting. The word keep means to guard using boundaries. Oh, and that's where a lot of parents get stuck. Because can I tell you a secret if you've not already learned it? Kids don't like boundaries. And do you know why they don't like boundaries? Because their parents don't like boundaries. And their parents before them didn't like boundaries. And you can take that back 6,000 years to a couple in a perfect garden that decided that they were going to go past a boundary that God had given for them. See? So he wanted preservation, but he also wanted limitation. Preservation, to guard or to keep for one's protection. Limitation, that word keep, to guard using boundaries. And a good father or a good father figure understands the need for both. As a dad, I have, I have two main jobs for my kids. Number one is reconnaissance. I need to know. I need to be watching. I need to be aware of what they're around and what's around them and what they're near and what's near them. You spy on your kids? Absolutely. And as they become teenagers, I'll do so all the more. Reconnaissance. You know why? Because sometimes kids aren't smart enough to recognize when a wolf's on the prowl. That's why you have these dateline shows that catch these predators online all the time because kids don't recognize it it's my job to do some recon to watch to be aware but not only reconnaissance my job is to restrain too i'm sorry daughter i'm sorry son you're not going any further than this can't do it why because I have a desire for them that they be protected. And those that we influence. As a pastor, now I don't spy on you, okay? But if I see something in your life that that is dangerous, it's my job to tell you. I don't stalk your social media pages to see what you're up to, but if you put something up there that's objectionable, I might say something to you because it's dangerous. Reconnaissance. It's my job to know what's going on in this world. You know, you know, one of my, my, it's my least favorite thing to do as a pastor is periodically I have to go on the Virginia State Sex Offender, sex offender Registry and see who's, who's living around here. Because I dare not send the wrong group of people to the wrong house. I hate doing it. 
And do you know why I hate doing it? Because there's so many folks around here with that issue. And I hate knowing that. Why do I know that? Because it's my job to know it. It's my job to protect. But also it's my job to restrain. I'm sorry, church. There's just, as long as I'm pastor, there's just some boundaries we're not going to exceed. Because the word of God gives us clear teaching as to how far we can go in a given matter. It's just how it is. You know. Protection. What's my desire for the next generation? Prosperity, protection. And then you know what else Solomon wanted that we want for, for ours as well? Promotion. You want your kids to excel, don't you? Solomon wanted Rehoboam to succeed. He wanted him to move up in life. Look at verse 8. Exalt her, speaking of wisdom, and she shall what? Promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. And then he uses verse 9, this, this, uh, it's, it's speaking to an accomplishment. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. Solomon wanted Rehoboam to succeed, to move up in life. And I have never met any parent that when I ask them, what do you want for your kids? Well, I want my child to be a wonder of mediocrity. I want my child to be just good enough to get by. And any parent that would say that and mean it and not be joking, I would really question whether or not you love your kids. Because I tell you, I want my kids to be all God wants them to be. I want them to soar to the absolute highest heights that God has for them. By the way, the key there is that God has for them. Do I want my kids to be president of the United States? If that's what God has for them, then yes. Do I want my kids to be filthy, stinking rich? If that's what God has for them, then yes. But I want them to be at the very top of their potential for God. Prosperity, protection, promotion. And then finally, what do we want for our kids that Solomon wanted for his? Perseverance. Verse number 10. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings in the years of thy life shall be many. Solomon wanted many years for Rehoboam. Simply put, he wanted his son to keep going. He didn't want his life cut short by bad decisions. Now, who in the world in here would want their kid's life cut short because of bad decisions? Now, there are lives that are cut short not because of bad decisions. William, William Borden comes to mind. William Borden, who was set to inherit the Borden fortune and surrendered to the call of God to missions and died at a young, young age. Jim Elliott died young, but of course he said he is no fool that gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Robert Murray McShane comes to mind. These are people that didn't live very long lives, but I'm going to tell you, they lived some full lives. And they went as far as God would have them to go. But their death was not because of bad decisions, but rather because of righteous decisions. But none of us want our kids to stop moving forward because of bad decisions. We want them to persevere. These are our desires. So 3D parenting begins with having the right desires for our kids, right? That's D number one. So that moves us to the next D. All right, these are my desires for the next generation, my desires for my kids, my desires for my Sunday school class, my desires for my youth group, my desires for, uh, for the, the kids in my class, my desire, these are my desires. So then the next question is, okay, what is my duty to them? What is my duty? 
my responsibility. If, if my kids are going to see prosperity and protection and promotion and perseverance, then what is my duty? What is the role that I should play? And let me tell you something, dads. There's a whole lot of kids out there that aren't seeing these desires met because dad's not fulfilling his duty. My first duty is one of investment. Verse number one. My son... Attend unto my wisdom, and bow thine ear to my understanding. I'm sorry, that's chapter 5, which is a very good chapter as well. Verse 4. Hear, you children, the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding, for I give you good doctrine. Dads especially, but all of us that have influence over somebody else, there's two investments that we have to make if our kids are going to have prosperity and protection, promotion, and perseverance. First of all, it's the duty of investment in the matter of training. In the matter of training. Verse number 1 says, Hear ye children the instruction of a father. Now, King James English is interesting in a lot of regards, but especially in this. What words meant in 1611 are not necessarily what they mean today. And we hear the word instruction, and we think of sitting down and teaching somebody, applying knowledge to their lives. But instruction back in 1611, and instruction as it's rendered in the Hebrew here, went much further than that. In fact, it's a little bit darker. The word instruction here has the idea of discipline and chastening. And so the best way that I could analogize it today, instruction in verse 1 could be likened to a hard-nosed coach. Y'all remember back in the days when coaches could get away with stuff? Now, I'm not for physical assault and cruelty and all of that. But can I tell you, I had coaches that called me all kinds of names. And I had coaches that at times put their hands on me. I got headbutted by a coach one time. I won that one, as you can imagine. I'm not saying I'm for all of that. But a coach sometimes, in teaching a young person or or any person, any athlete, a coach sometimes has to get negative. I remember when I helped Brother Branson out the first year we had the, the boys' team back. Um, I helped Brother Branson out a little bit, and we had one player in particular who has since graduated and gone on, but we had one player in particular, a very good ball player, and he wasn't doing well. He was not doing well that first half, and it was showing on the scoreboard. And they were on their way. They were on their way to the, the locker room, and I walked up to him, and I grabbed him by his jersey. I said, hey, Nancy, let me ask you something. I said, do you want me to go ahead and sign you up for the girls' team because you're not playing like a man? And he got mad at me and scored 35 points the second half. (laughs) And he was mad at me for three days. He told me that for three days. But you know what? I'll take three days of being mad for 35 points in a second half any day in the the week. I'm not saying that was necessarily right. It was practical. It worked. But it wasn't necessarily right. It certainly wasn't Christ-like. It was coach-like. But sometimes when you're coaching, you got to chasten. All right, time to run some laps. All right, we got to do more stretching. We got to do more. We got. I'm sorry, you're out of shape. I'm sorry, people. People are coming up with lame, lame legs too frequently. Evidently, we're not stretching enough. I mean, all kinds of ways of doing this, but it hurts. 
That's what he's talking about. He's talking about introducing negative stimulus to accomplish a goal. And it can be unpleasant, and that's why many parents don't do it. Many parents just cannot stand the sight of their child being less than completely happy with the moment. Can I give you just a a straightforward verse? Take it for whatever you need to. Proverbs 19, verse 18. Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. Boy, God saw where we were headed, didn't he? And you know what we're seeing today? We're seeing a whole generation of people that mom and daddy couldn't bear to keep them unhappy. And now they're entitled. And everything's supposed to be handed to them. And when it's not, they pitch a living fit. When it's not, when it's not, they protest in front of a, a justice's home and threaten to kill him. When it's not, they lay in front of the Capitol and scry, cry and scream and plead and beg and instead of being grown-ups. Mm. Let me tell you where that starts. That starts with the kid pitching the fit in the line at Walmart and mom and dad giving in. That's where it starts. And let me tell you something. My son, Asher, he's four. He has moments where he's being a brat too. I know, I know what you're thinking. Well, Asher's not always. I know he's not, and we're working on it. And it's going to take some years to get it done. We're working on it, but we're working on it. Mm. Too many children are lost because parents refuse to do the unpleasant work of correction. By the way, they don't let teachers in school do it either. And they don't let youth pastors do it, and they don't let Sunday school teachers do it, and they don't let anybody correct because their kids are never wrong. My kid's wrong all the time. I grew up, my mom gave the benefit of the doubt to whoever came to me and said, your son, your son did wrong. Oh, he did. I didn't even have a chance to defend myself. Now, I'm not saying that's all right either. But I'm saying I grew up in a generation where it was just assumed that the adult was right. Oh, boy. Can I tell you something? Listen closely to me. Kids need parents, and they even need friends that are adults. But we cannot afford to be their peer. My son is my friend, but he's not my peer. Because if he's my peer, then I have no moral authority, and I have no experiential authority. He needs to be able to look up to me and know that I've been there before, and I know what's coming. Man, it's starting to feel like Wednesday night. The, the, the investment the investment of training but I'll tell you what else it involves it involves the investment of teaching look what it says in verse number 2 for I give you good doctrine the word doctrine literally means to grasp or seize a truth teaching, insight and can I tell you something especially dads but to all of us that have influence we can only teach what we know We can only teach what we've learned. And many parents do not teach because they're not willing to do the work of learning. You ready for this? According to Deuteronomy chapter 6, it is not the primary responsibility of the pastor or the teacher or the Sunday school teacher or the deacon or the trustee to teach your kids the Word of God. It is the responsibility of the parents. 
And a lot of parents farm all that out because they don't think they have that responsibility, and then they wonder why their kids grow up spiritually stunted because they are missing the most important ingredient in their spiritual instruction that they can have, and that's their parents. Now listen, I'm here for whatever you need me for, and I am happy to help in in whatever way I can, but I am not going to buy into this mindset of when a kid asks a spiritual question, well, let's just go, go ask the preacher. No, get your Bible open and let's find it together. And then if we can't find it, let's go ask the preacher. And then I'll probably tell you I can't find it either. So I'll call the preachers that I think. And if all else fails, I'll call Brother Earl. Hmm. In case you haven't figured this out, he knows his Bible. My duty to the next generation, if, if, I, if I want them to know prosperity and protection and promotion and perseverance, then I need to be willing to invest, to invest in, inf- to invest in, 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 in training and in teaching. But you know what else? I also have the duty of influence. The word influence implies having sway over other people's movements. One of the best, one of the best bits of advice I ever got was from Pastor Jim Shetler. Pastor Shetler was the pastor of the campus church at the college where I, where I graduated when I was there, and we had ministerial seminar with him, oh, I guess it was two days a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I think, and he said this to us, and it just stuck with me. He said, fellas, those of you that are going to be pastors, don't strive for authority. You have a certain degree of authority that the Bible gives you. Don't, don't, don't strive to build authority. Build influence. It goes further, and it works better. Influence influence because there are ways that i can sway people's thinkings and even their direction in life without bless god i'm the boss applesauce and you know we don't need all that okay now you come to me and tell me we're not going to preach that jesus was virgin born anymore then bless god i'm the boss applesauce and we're not teaching that (laughs) what brother wright used to say i'm not a dictator but i am the head tater not earl wright charles wright (laughs) he might feel that way too Okay, influence, having sway over the movements of another. Well, look at verse number two again. For I give you good doctrine, watch this, forsake ye not my what? My law. Authority, direction. Hey, hey parents, particularly dads, if you're not already there, you need to know how to be the authority. We've got parents out there that have the gift of discernment, the gift of helps, the gift of mercy, the gift of prophecy, all sorts of spiritual gifts. But let me tell you what parents really, really need the gift of, the gift of no. My wife possesses the gift of no, and she exercises it frequently on our children, and she exercises it frequently on me. I don't go shopping with her anymore because if I do, I'm not getting what I want. But you know how she says no to me? Now, to the kids, she uses that old chestnut, we'll see. And Asher is not old enough yet to know that when mom says we'll see, that means no, I'm just delaying it. So she says we'll see, and he goes, yes, we're going to see. No, son, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But let me tell you what my wife uses on me. Hey, honey, let's go ahead and get this. Well, let me, let me go home and see if I've got a coupon. She's, she's dragging it out. 
She's running out the clock is what she's doing. There is no coupon. And even if there was, it'll be gone by the time we get back. I'm on to you. I wasn't on the shirt, but everything else, I'm on to you. We need parents that have the gift of no. Hey, Dad, it's okay to look at your daughter and say, Honey, I love you, but you're not going out dressed like that. It's amazing. We invest money in a phone and we put a case on it to keep it, keep it safe. We invest money in an iPad and we put a case on it to keep it safe. We invest, we invest in our kids and we don't put a case on them. My gracious. We need moms that are willing to say, I'm sorry, son, you're not done with your chores yet. Listen carefully to this. We do this next generation a grave disservice when we refuse to lead them. Isn't Father's Day joyous? What's my duty to the next generation? My soul, let's move fast. Investment, influence, and then number number, uh, three, rather, in verse number 10, I have the duty of impact. Verse number 10. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings. The word sayings means utterances, words, or promises, and this is, this is basically what they are. They are impactful truths that we infuse into the lives of those we oversee. Can you... Like me, think of things that people have said maybe over and over again that have just stuck with you. You've heard me use some that have stuck with me. Adrian Rogers is one of my, one of my go-tos. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. Hmm. A faith that can't be tested can't be what? Trusted. I've used that a few times, haven't I? Yeah. Let me give you some other ones. Jim Shetler, Jim Shetler, the one that I mentioned before, he said a couple of things that always stuck with me. God expects us to be thermostats that change the climate, not thermometers that just measure it. That stuck with me forever. Prayer is not conquering God's reluctance, but relying on his willingness. That stuck with me forever. John Brothers, the pastor that ordained me, said this. He said, life is but the dressing room for eternity, so treat it as such. It's not the actual performance. It's just the beginning. He also said attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. One that I don't know where it originated. I'm sure many of these originated other places, but these are the ones I associate with it. One that I don't know where it originated, but it's always been with me. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. It's always been there. The last one I'm going to mention to you as far as impactful sayings, the, the potential that we have to impact somebody's life just on what we say is by a man that many of you won't recognize his name, though some of you have met him. His name is Ben Ketron. Benny Ray Ketron. His daughter-in-law is our church accountant, and she does a great job. She has kept us from being audited, looked at, arrested, and everything else. 
She's a mean accountant. She doesn't let us cut any corners. Everything's just, and that's how we want it. Okay. Most of you know that my dad and I didn't particularly get along, though I do believe he's in heaven. And I, we were able to patch up a lot of that just before his home going. And, uh, and I thank God for my dad and, and for uh, those things that I learned from him. But I went through a good portion of my young adult life really suffering through not feeling like I had a dad. And almost from the beginning, I can't think of a time that I've ever ended a conversation, either on the phone or in person with Ben Ketron, that he didn't end it like this. I love you, son. Such a simple thing. But man, it impacted me. And I've known all those years I can call him anytime. He'll come running. He pops in on occasion. His his people are from uh, over there in, uh, huh, Coburn. People are from over there in Coburn. So he stops in when he's on his way to and from Coburn. Sometimes he comes to Withful just to visit. I have no idea why. They come for their anniversary sometimes. Withful, really? Yeah, okay. And he'll pop in. Impactful. Now, those of us that have influence over other people, do we not want to live in such a way that what we say sticks with people and what we say impacts them? Don't, don't we want our sayings to live beyond us? But a lot of times it doesn't happen. These sayings never happen because unless we're immersed in our Bibles more than our favorite sport, our favorite entertainer, our favorite pastime, our favorite politician, unless our Bible is where we find ourselves, we're not going to leave those kind of sayings, are we? What words fall from my lips that can positively impact the next generation for eternity? What words fall from my lips that can positively impact the next generation for eternity? I've got some work to do in that area, and I know it, and here's how I know it. I forget if it was Brother Davies or one of the teachers or somebody in the school asked the young people to write down a phrase they associate with me, and almost without exception, all of them said the same thing. Anybody care to guess? Easy preaching, hard living. Now, that's true in a lot of areas, but that's really not the one. That's not what I want on my tombstone. <laughs> Andrew Davis, easy preaching, hard living. No, I don't want that on my tombstone. That gives all the wrong impressions because it's out of context. It's easy to preach, but I'm going to tell you he lived hard. No, that's not at all what it means. So I've got, I've got some work to do. I've got some work to do to leave behind something more impactful than that. You know. <laughs> was it Claire or Asher that in, impersonated you using one word? Was it Claire? You don't remember that? I do. What's mommy say? No. That's what mommy said. <laughs> yeah. Claire. Yeah, it was Claire. Impactful sayings. We have a duty to the next generation, a duty to invest, a duty to influence, and a duty to impact. So that's the second D. What's the third D? And, and take heart, church. It's the shortest one. 
3D parenting begins with the right desire, and, and then it moves on by fulfilling our duty, and then it finishes up in what is my directive. If we could put it another way, so what? What's my directive? What am I supposed to take from this? And this is where it really just broadens out to everybody, anybody that has influence over anybody else. This is where it broadens out, whether you're a father, a mother, a leader, a Sunday school teacher, whatever. If you have influence over anybody else, this is your directive, and it is summed up in verse number 11. What am I supposed to take from here? You need to be able to say this. I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. I have led thee in right paths. Hey, dads, can you look at your kids and say that? I've taught thee in the way of wisdom. I've led thee in the right paths. Moms, can you say that? Grandparents, can you say that? Aunts, uncles, can you say that? Older siblings, can you say that? Sunday school teachers, can you say that? Classroom teachers, can you say that? Whatever you're doing, wherever you have influence, can you look at the ones that you're influencing and say, by God's grace, I've taught thee in the way of wisdom, and I've led thee in right paths. And if we can't say that consistently, then we've got work to do because that's our directive. As a parent, if I'm going to do 3D parenting, I have to have the right desires for my kids. And I have to fulfill the duties that I have for my kids. And I need to live under that directive that my job is to teach them in the way of wisdom and to lead them in right paths. And if I can answer this in the affirmative, it'll fulfill my desire for them. It'll fulfill my duty to them. It'll fulfill my directive regarding them. May God help us all whether it's with our kids or whoever we influence, to practice 3D parenting.